do you love audiobooks? You can get a free 30-day trial membership to audible.com by visiting audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. They have thousands of audiobook titles, as well as podcasts, guided wellness programs, theatrical performances, A-list comedy, and exclusive Audible originals you won't find anywhere else. Get your free trial membership at audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. Welcome to the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, a show exploring the lives of professional musicians of all types, touring musicians, recording artists, songwriters, engineers, bar bands, wedding bands, and anyone making their living in the music industry. Whether you've dreamed of being a professional or you already are one, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Eric Baines, and I hope that you not only find some entertainment here, but also some helpful tips, trade secrets, and ideas that will help you achieve your dreams. So I hope you can bear with me a little on this episode because I'm in Los Angeles and I've been trying to stay inside, but it's really hard to avoid the smoke in the air from all of the fires. It's If you look at a map, it really looks like the whole western half of the U.S. is on fire. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, after, I don't know, we've been going through this for four days or so. And it's, even though I've been staying inside as much as I can, it's hard to avoid and it's starting to affect my voice. So please bear with me. I hope you can understand me. One of the cool things about doing this podcast is that I get to see the analytics and see who's listening. And as a person who tours and loves to travel, which is one of the biggest reasons I got into this this music game, um, it's fun to see the other countries that are listening to the podcast, and uh, like Canada, the UK, but also some of the crazier places that that I've been to, like South Africa and Latvia and the Philippines, which we just talked about in the last episode, Brazil, Japan, Hong Kong, Mexico, Finland, France, Spain, Italy, Germany, uh, the Czech Republic, and the list just literally keeps going. So uh, it's it's really exciting. It's really fun. Just know that I know that you're listening, and I really appreciate it. My dream and my hope is that uh, one day all of this will be better and I can get back on the road and thank all of you in person. So hopefully I'll see you out there at some point. This pandemic has been pretty devastating to the entertainment industry, obviously. Um, But I'm not sure what's worse, being an established musician with a mortgage and a family to support or, or being a young guy who's just finally getting his career off the ground and has the rug pulled out from under him. And my guest today has exactly the latter scenario, unfortunately. He's a drummer, multi-instrumentalist, and singer. I talk a lot about being a versatile player, uh, you know, to get more gigs on this show. But he's taken it to a totally different place by being able to play multiple, multiple instruments and being versatile in that way and playing instruments at a high enough level that he can be playing gigs on, on, on more than one. He's currently the musical director for comedian, singer, songwriter, and drag queen, Trixie Mattel. And uh, if you haven't checked her out, check her out. It's, it's totally amazing. She's really funny, and she's a great singer and a great songwriter. It's pretty, pretty impressive. I would check it out on YouTube. Um, and I've played a ton of bar gigs with him. He's a great kid. He's a great musician. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Corey James. 
You are a multi-instrumentalist, which... Thank you. I didn't really know. I thought you were just a drummer. Okay. And next thing you know, you're, you're taking my gigs. Yeah. As a bass player and a keyboard player. And you sing. Have I missed anything? Um, do you play guitar? I do play guitar. I don't like to play guitar. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's probably my least favorite instrument. I just don't like it. I, I was talking to my friend about this last night, actually. I like the only type of guitar I like is like Eddie Van Halen tone, where it kind uh, of sounds like a synth. Uh-huh. You right. know, like, or I mean, I also love Alan Holdsworth, but that's kind of a different mm. field. Um, right, for sure. But the heavy distortion, you know, just that that fullness is like the only sound of a guitar that's really hit me where I've liked it. I think it's a necessary instrument. I just, for me, it doesn't doesn't work. I'm kind of the same way about bass. I just ended up playing it for 30 I, years. I mean, you should, you should have known that I, I was a bass player when I bought bass gear from you. Well, I did at that point. Yeah. But I'm saying, like, you know, when we first met and everything, you were, you were a drummer. I don't even remember when that was, really. I think I first maybe met you at the at Poncho's. Yeah. Was, and you sat in, it was sat probably, in with a band. It's probably when I first started around, like, 16, 16 yeah. 17. Yeah, yeah, you were a kid. I'm still a kid. <laughs> I know. And that's why I wanted to have you on the show because we need a young perspective. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you look young. That's <laughs> exactly what matters in the entertainment industry. Right? I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's true. You just lie about your age. And my, yeah. da- my dad taught me that. <laughs> taught me that. <laughs> Very few things, but he taught me that one. So which one do you prefer? Um, Instruments. I, I mean, mean, drums for sure. So my last yeah. gig I had was, uh, I was on bass primarily mm-hmm. and I love playing bass, but it doesn't give me the same satisfaction of playing drums. Like I went probably three months without playing drums um, for this for this last tour. Like wow. I didn't even sit on the kit because the drummer we had, um, he well, you met him. You met. Do you remember Price? He played at uh, not Ponches. He played at uh, Roscoe's with my dad a long time ago, like uh, 2014, uh, probably. Like right after I came out of Berkeley, he came and sat in. Was I there? Yeah, you were playing that oh. gig. <laughs> And it was oh, that Ro- sounds familiar. It wasn't Roscoe's, it was Joe's. Joe's. Joe's okay. important. And yeah. That sounds familiar. That was yeah. like the first time I also asked you how to make it in the music business. I think <laughs> you gave me some pointers. Your your main pointer was uh, buy nicer clothes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, that's definitely true. I learned. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah. That's interesting. So it did prove somewhat true. Because I mean, I kind of learned that firsthand too. Like I, I didn't start getting bigger gigs until I went down to Melrose and spent 1500 bucks on some clothes. And right. It's a weird thing, but I mean, we're in a visual, a visual medium, you yeah. know, it's not just about how you play if you're going to do pop music anyway. Well, I think I lived in orange so long and I was trying to make it from, from, you know, not LA. And then I moved to LA and I realized, you know, everybody here puts effort into how they dress yeah. If you're a musician, well, 99% of the people do. And so you have to, like, if you're, you're playing behind a hot girl, you have to look good. I yeah. mean, even if it's all black, which it normally is when you're playing like a hotel cafe gig or something. Right. It's like, you have to look good in all black. So, I mean, I had to learn that pretty quick. I mean, I tried to remember what you said earlier, but it didn't really apply at that time. So. Right. Yeah. Or I wasn't applying it effectively enough for me, you know. Right. Well, good. I'm glad I. Gave you some good advice. So do you um, practice each one sort of with the same intensity, like wanting to be as good at each one? Or is drums, that your, that's your main thing, all the rest you've picked up? Or how did you... Right. Drums are the thing I, I care about the most. Um, I don't really care about being super technically proficient at 
any instrument. I just want to be able to like service the music. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's kind of a cliched statement, but like that's my favorite thing in music is to like have somebody trust me with their their creation and their dream. So as long as I sound good with the song, but the most I've practiced like chops on is definitely drums. I never I've never practiced like bass chops or piano chops. I did classical piano when I was younger, but that's all that's you know that's the only facility I have on that. Um, like I can't play a jazz lick, <laughs> but I can play chords really well. Yeah. Know? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know the last time that we played together was at a Christmas party and you were on piano All right. and you started pulling out all this Stevie Wonder stuff with a million chords. So oh, yeah. maybe you don't got licks, but you got jazz chords, got you chords, know, yeah. for sure. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, Stevie is one of my favorites, so I have to learn his songs. Like, uh, yeah. you know, well, it's a good education right there. Yeah. The, the, one of the best you know he's there's that there's that new uh youtube video saying like the term music theory is racist and it should be like changed to the stylings of european artists in the 18th century or something like that mm, interesting. It, you know it's like it's it's kind of true because when i took music theory like it was mostly about just classical artists and that doesn't even cover a, a bit of like jazz or any of those different voicings that you hear all the time so Hmm. I mean, so, well, that's interesting to me because you went to, to Berkeley, as many of our my guests have gone right. to, um, and so did I. So when I think of music theory, it, it has nothing to do with classical music in my head because I went to a jazz school. You know, with bebop was the the legit theory that yeah. they teach there. I'm assuming it was way before you, so I don't know. Maybe it's changed. So I guess they don't the 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 variance there is they I think they call it classical theory versus mm-hmm. music theory at but in most applications, like when I was in high school, they had a music theory class. And um, that's right. when I first started. Like I started drums in like, I think my, the the summer between junior and senior year. So I was trying to get interested in that stuff and they called it music theory. And like, I, you know, I didn't really think about it then. I didn't really care. Then going into college, I took a theory class because I thought that's what that was, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know, didn't give me any information on the Stevie side of music, which I wish it had because that's the more interesting, not just interesting, but like we use that vocabulary way more. Yeah, for sure. If you're going to be making your living, that's what's so great about Berkeley. That's what attracted me to it is that they care about, you know, you making money at music outside of, outside of college once you get done, you know, like, and it's a very, it's a more, you know, it's it's arguable, you know, (laughs) well, I don't know. What was your, what was your experience? I don't know how much they care about you individually. Oh, for sure not. There's definitely, um, Berkeley, I feel like I learned a lot more from my peers than I've ever learned from any of my teachers. Mm. Uh, your teachers kind of, I feel like every teacher I've had, I actually studied with Taylor Carrington, do you know? Yeah. She's oh, yeah. Obviously a famous jazz drummer. Right. Yeah. But she uh, was super disappointing. Like she, we taught like a, she taught like a, an ensemble class, not really an ensemble. It was like a drum lab and we had like 10 drummers in the room. She would show mm. up high every single class oh. and like would snap at you if you didn't get something right. And it was like, you know, it was kind of that whiplash kind of thing, but if you're high, right? it was, like <laughs> was a weird dynamic in that class. And she like, if you were a jazz drummer, she really like showed you more favor, you mm. know, and there's so many different types of drummers at Berkeley. It's just like, right. and I wouldn't say that's the, that, that was my typical experience. I just feel like overall I learned more from my peers than I did my teachers. Interesting. Well, that's, Kind of why you go there too, yeah. though, because it's just full of musicians and the greatest ones from all parts of the world. And, yeah. and you know, they have the sheds if you're living in the dorms where you can 
but you can right. be there 24 seven if you want to just playing, you know? So that's kind of, I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's part of the, should be part of the experience. But I think that's interesting too, because you know, the old adage, like them that can't do teach mm-hmm. it's it, it also, you know, those that can do aren't always good teachers. Yeah, exactly. And that's a perfect example. She's yeah. a phenomenal drummer. Right. I, I had an ensemble with Fred Lipsius, which yeah. I don't even, I don't even know if he's around anymore, but uh, he won a Grammy for what goes up must mm-hmm. come down. He wrote that arrangement. He was part of blood, sweat and tears. He was a sax player and just the strangest dude yeah. I've ever even encountered. Like yeah. he didn't, he would barely even talk really. He just, He'd like call a tune and we'd start playing it and then he would be like, no. And he'd sit at the piano and he'd just play it and, and not really tell you what he was yeah. doing. You know, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to soak. I mean, obviously you've got knowledge in right. there that's that I need, but how do I get it out in a way that's, you know. That's really funny. My, my arranging teachers and my composing teachers were exactly the same. Like they would get lost in their own facility, you know. They yeah. would be like, I am so good. And then you wouldn't, you're like, <laughs> okay, I, I can't teach you, show me. Right, and they really never would because, like, I don't think any student is brave enough to speak up to their teachers at that point and be like, "I stop that," you know? Yeah, like that was my least favorite thing in in private lessons too. Was when teacher was trying to show you something and then they would just chop out afterwards for like thirty seconds. You'd be like, "Okay, right," like that's not why I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're great, obviously. Right. I tell so I I taught after Berkeley. Mm. That was my main thing for a few years. And um, I tell my students not to apply there, actually. <laughs> oh, interesting. Wow, it's that that bad. I think it's just so expensive, and you're only really paying for the connections, really. And you can yes. make those same connections here. Right. Like, if you put yourself in the circles, like, it doesn't matter if you went to college or not for music. You could just get a teacher and then go to the jams in Hollywood, you know? Mm-hmm. That could be your ticket to the networking. Interesting. As long as you're good enough, I think. That's well, my it's, take. it's different for someone from L.A. or New York or Nashville because they already are there. I right. could definitely see that. Because I've, I've also talked to people who are like, well, go to MIT if you want to end up in L.A. because then you're going you're gonna to have the same kind yeah. of thing, you know. But I grew up in Broomfield, Colorado, so Berkeley was sort of my ticket somewhere, right. you know, and I didn't really know about L.A. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, but, that's a perspective I definitely didn't. Well, all of my students are from LA. So I guess I, right, exactly. I don't need to consider that perspective, but if I right. had lived somebody else, yeah, I'd, yeah. You know, you're right. No, I'm, what I'm saying is I think you're right too, because yeah. you live here too. You know, that's an interesting thing. I also think that Berkeley is a school where you need to know what you want out of it. Mm-hmm. They're not there to like spoon feed you not stuff. And if you're going to go there without like even a major in mind or something, well, you did professional music, which is sort of an I don't want to pick a major major. Yeah, that was my let me spend the least amount of money decision. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you can end up spending a lot of money if you just go there and wander around cuz you know, cuz those are yeah. the teachers. You need to like sort of get in their heads and like get in front of their face and get what you want out of it, you know. Yeah. I think half the kids there though, like they either have money or they're going tremendously in debt, you know. Yep. So like I know a girl that I went to school with and she came out here and then went to school for makeup. And that's what she's doing. Like she's still working in the music industry, but she's doing makeup for musicians. Wow. Like she had some support from her parents before she was able to go to two different schools, you know? Yeah. But that'd be a hard decision for somebody from Colorado with no money. Yeah. Well, that's why I only, I only went for three semesters (laughs) Yeah, because I ran out of money. Right. And I was like, well, 
even you know just Boston compared to Broomfield, Colorado is is hard to live in. You right. Know? Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, what did you think of Boston? I love Boston. Yeah. Like Boston's one of my favorite cities for sure. Um, it just has such a nice atmosphere. Like every, the only thing I didn't like about Boston was the never ending wind. Mm-hmm. But besides that, it was just, it's such a beautiful city. Boston natives can be pretty mean. Uh, I think. Yeah. It's I, East coast. Yeah. When I first moved there, um, it was right before the fall semester during summer and the, Celtics were playing the Lakers and I walked out of my apartment one night to go hang out with my friends after the game. This guy was so drunk. He approached me and thought I was throwing stuff at him. And I had just walked out the front door. So like I obviously mm-hmm. was not throwing anything at him. And I tried to walk around him as he was confronting me and he picked me up and choked me like with a chokehold. And I was just like, this is, you know, like what the hell do I do? All right. But wow. That was my oh first my experience with Boston people. Yeah. You know? Toughen up. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Yeah. So. Well, it's it's a different... Well, you grew up in... L.A. I grew up here. Like L.A. proper or Orange County? I thought you were more of a... So I was born in Van Nuys, actually. Oh, wow. Right here. Where yeah. we are now. The Van Nuys Hospital or something, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. And then I lived... I think we lived here for a couple of years and then moved down to my mom's in Orange. Yeah. And then stayed there for a while. And then I moved back up here after, you know, when I was an adult. So. Right. I mean, I'm still a kid, but when I was an adult kid, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I just think it's it's a different type of city here. You know, it's yeah. a laid back place. You're in your car all the time. You're not like in Boston or New York or something. You're on the street, mm-hmm. you know, a lot more. You're interacting with people all the time. And yeah. it just sort of, I don't know, just that in general requires some thick skin sometimes. <laughs> it, yeah. But that's the thing about like the East Coast. You always feel like you're doing something when there's people always moving, you know? Mm, yeah. Like that. The energy's intense. Yeah. I miss that a lot. And you know, New York, Boston, you can't get that in LA. But I don't know. For I mean, me, I just prefer the weather here anyways. Well, the weather is, <laughs> is objectively, I think, you know, better here, but it's yeah. like, you cannot beat New York's energy. Like yeah. you just can't like, I yeah. mean, in the, in the United States at least, you know? Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. All right. Well, We'll, we'll put your score down over here. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're keeping score. We'll see. What I'm <laughs> at the bottom of the list now. <laughs> a lot to learn. So you already mentioned your dad, and uh, your dad is James Clay Garrison, who if you're from Orange County or anywhere sort of in the Southland, you, he's sort of a local hero, phenomenal guitar player, singer. And um, as I mentioned, I was playing with him when I first met you because you came in as a kid and sat in. Yeah. And uh, so did you, how was that growing up with a, with a musical dad? I mean, that had to. I'm going to have to cut this part out. Oh, <laughs> no, <I'm just> okay. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know, I, we didn't have, and I've never really had the best relationship. Um, I told him when I was like 12, I don't know if I should repeat this quote, but I was like, I never want to be like you, I'm like meaning a musician. Oh, and then, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, I got a, an electronic drum set for like my 16th birthday or something like that or Christmas. And then I just started playing it and then I became a musician. So, yeah, you know, um, it but, happens whether you want to or not, right. you become your parents. Yeah. But playing with him, um, was always extremely stressful. You know, when he was in his prime or shortly after, obviously he was a very talented guy. Um, and he expected a lot of everybody no matter their skill level he was just like he expected them to be the best that they could be which is not a bad thing it's just like i don't think he could judge people's ability very well so like my Mm. ability at the time when i first played with him i think he wanted me to be a lot better than i was so he treated me like that you know which Uh, is not necessarily a bad thing it's kind of the old school vibe 
Right. Um, but it's different when it's your father and you're just trying to play music for fun, right? Right. He's taking like a, you know, a bar gig, like it's in front of 20,000 people kind of thing. Right. Which is, which is what he does. Yeah. That's his thing. And it's not, that's not a bad thing either. It's just right. like, you know, if not everyone has the same approach and it's just like, at that time, I definitely wasn't there yet. And I don't, I mean, I, I sense have like now in my adult life, when I, when I lead bands and stuff, I kind of have to fight some of that same mentality. Like I'll expect, especially my more talented friends, I'll like expect way too much out of their playing. Right. Like if they forget, you know, to sing a harmony or something, I'll kind of like give them a look. And it's like, I have to stop myself from doing my dad's things, you know? Right. Cause that's also what I learned was like the looks that he gave, you know, and I do that because of him probably, you know, I mean, you know, those looks very well, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, he, he never, you know, he was always pretty nice to me, um, yeah. but I've seen him. He's do, the, I've, I've seen him. He's the hardest <laughs> on drummers, for sure. He, oh, I think so, yeah. Like he would, you know, Jimmy Paxson, he's played with the best of the Stevie Nicks, you know, it's like mm-hmm. Dixie Chicks. He's played with the Lance Morissette, you know, all yeah. these huge people. And it's like, I saw him give, you know, I saw my dad give Jimmy so many looks, just like, what? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, can right. you just try to enjoy playing with this guy? You yeah. Know, have a good vibe. Yeah. I mean, it definitely can kill the fun for sure. So, just hearing you say that you fight that, uh, it makes me feel happy. Yeah. You know, because yeah, there's a you know that's the thing about certain band leaders for sure. That yeah, it's kind of a pet peeve for me, especially like you say when you're at a bar gig, you're making a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Like, get off my ass. You right. Know? I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's so I I when I when I'm like a band leader for a bigger show obviously I'm going to be harsher and I'm going to be like more assertive about it mm-hmm. but I think also the expectations are are bigger so like the peop, the musicians usually fight to meet those versus bar gigs where they don't right so yeah I mean well and usually the pay is better right so you're you know attracting better musicians right. <laughs> you know that that are taking this or even any kind of musicians although yeah. you know I'm the kind of guy that's like if I take your gig I'm going to no matter what it pays, I'm I'm giving you my all, yeah. you know, but not everybody's like that. And sometimes they show up to a bar gig with a different attitude, but when mm-hmm. you've got a decent gig with decent pay, they might show up and be prepared. And mm-hmm. I will say like expanding on playing with my dad over the years, like there's some stuff he does that's really great that I think should be highlighted. Like there's not many people that will purposely like move tempos for sections just to create a vibe or help like with the crowd mm-hmm. and i think that's something my dad really excelled at was you know if you felt like the crowd's energy was lowering he kind of lowered the tempo and kind of like forced the drummer to lower the tempo with his playing while he's singing which is really impressive mm-hmm. or like if we're going into chorus i know that's like a lot of older players i feel like know this like you should speed up maybe a couple bpm to give more energy mm-hmm. but the way he'd command it while playing and singing it's just super impressive. It was never ending. Like every single song, even if it's like the sublime cover, you know, sublime cover, you would still do it. And I think that's something that most people don't consciously do at least. And that's incredible that he's able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, the podcast called Dive Bar Rockstar podcast, like he's the quintessential example of, right. of that. He knows how to work a crowd. He knows how to work a crowd yeah. over the span of three sets, you know, or, or a whole night. And mm-hmm. like, you know, knows how to pace that to where, you know, people are worked into a frenzy by the end. Well, I love your thoughts, however, on you went to school and then you've you played for, for some years with your dad right. in, in bars and clubs, 
for mm-hmm. me, like we did a ton of gigs together as like a trio or, mm-hmm. or more, more than that. D- don't you think that's important at the same time? Like, it, like you as a player, just in the three years that I probably spent playing with you grew leaps and bounds that you couldn't get out of Berkeley. Oh, absolutely. I think I learned what I learned from my dad the most was like, how to shut the fuck up and play a song, you know, <laughs> like just play a drum groove throughout the whole song. And like, I noticed how, you know, I look back at those earlier videos and how terrible my feel was and coming out of Berkeley, it's like all you focus on is chops because right. all your peers are doing that. Mm. And you know, what happens is most kids move out to LA and they're like, Oh, I'm going to get this gig. Cause I, you know, I'm, I can chop all, you know, do every chop in the book. But, uh, it's so different when you move out here. Like nobody wants to play with that guy. Right. Um, I mean, people want to play with a guy that can chop, but can hold it until the right moment, right? Right. And that's my dad. Playing with my dad was more like holding your chops the entire gig and then maybe for 10 seconds letting your chops go. So that was kind of frustrating coming out of Berkeley, but it definitely taught me how to be more patient. Yeah. Yeah. And like the groove is what it is. Right. Let's start there. Right, right. You know, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. You you also kind of come up came up when this the gospel chop thing right. has been huge, you mm-hmm. know. And I've had a lot of drummers on gigs, and that's how they approach every song. And mm-hmm. it's it's a really tricky thing. And I remember when you're fresh out of Berkeley and you start playing, it's just it was like those gospel chops are what you probably looked up to. Hundred percent, yeah, dude. I, I just right. I just need two and four, you know. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of the old, an old cliche, but it's I think it was. Uh, I don't know this the, this whole gospel chop era. I think we're sort of over it. I don't see it a lot anymore out in the world as much as there it was maybe even five or six years ago. I think we're more in a chop culture, like for me, for younger musicians. Like it's not just about drums anymore. It's about every instrument. How hard can you chop? I think gospel chops that phrase is kind of over, mm-hmm. but I don't think the era of like chopper chopping drummers is over i think that will be over five ten years hopefully right um i think but i also think it's super cool because it's like i don't think the the average drummer has ever been this good like technically this good Um, interesting you know i think there's always been great drummers obviously but i think for probably for every instrument just because like of you know instagram and youtube like there's so many proficient musicians yeah and that's always pushing us, to, especially if you're a guy, you know, you have that testosterone. It's like, you have to be better. Right. So it's like, it's pushing you to practice and, you know, it kills a lot of people's drive for the, the love of music, but it's like, it makes you, you know, a, you can play your ass off. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I was definitely geared towards gospel chops and I still love them. I mean, I, I, I love both fields, you know, I love jazz chops. I don't have very many jazz chops. I mean, I've never <laughs> played jazz, but like gospel chops translate to pop really well if you mm. use them right. Right. And so that's why I like them because they're so digestible. And, you know, I mean, they're not, I mean, I hate using the term gospel chops, but. Yeah. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but it, it, it was a term out in the world, you <laughs> right, know, right. like. They even uh, made a YouTube channel about it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But like that, I think when you save them and use them right, the linear kind of drumming is, is, you know, what I like to call it. And mm-hmm. that, that I think is very useful. It's just, you know, more vocabulary. I yeah, think that's really sure. important. Yeah. Cause I think that that's another thing too. Like there's these other ways of approaching it where it's like, all I do is groove. Mm-hmm. There was an era of that too, you know, right. like uh Ricky Lawson, mm-hmm. one of the most recorded dudes. Awesome. I've played gigs with him. I, I saw him play many times. 
not a chops guy. Right. Like when it, I've seen him, like the band's pointing at him, ready to go, and mm-hmm. he just lay, keeps laying it down. You know, and Gadsden I think too, right? Like he does the same thing. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen him do. Yeah. A chop. Oh yeah. So I've always been to the school. Like you, you got to do it all if you really want to be a versatile player. Right. You know, the best guys, you would never know it all mm-hmm. night long. You know, you know Tr- Joe Travers. Yeah. I remember the first time I played with him and he's another Berkeley guy and uh, I've done a bunch of gigs now, but the first time I played with him, the whole first set, I was like, what? This is Joe Travers. Like I've heard all these stories and And on the last song, he just woke up and started blowing. And I was like, what? And I was like, like, that is my favorite thing right there. It's like, play tastefully and then when it but when someone points to you you gotta blow minds yeah. you know what i mean do you know the bass player joe cleveland i don't he's like a really popular uh bass player right now he does all like the vic firth and zildjian kind of jam things <laughs> and it was the same thing i went to see him at the federal in noho and there were two drummers it was justin bieber's drummer had just gotten off the tour and it was this other drummer i don't know and um he played groove like 99 percent of the night and it was the same thing there was one space for a fill and he filled it with every note he could and then went right back into the groove and i was just like holy shit like that's amazing <laughs> right that's why he's called all the time you know because yeah. he can do both so well yeah but i think that process like like i was talking about like going to berkeley learning all that stuff that's only one part of the process then you right. get out of college now you got to go get a bar gig and you got to know how <laughs> yeah. to apply all that stuff you know so that was such a great uh i don't know i think it would i think i think you're lucky to have had that yeah. that just kind of handed to you in a certain way you know i think it helped me listen to music more in general like Mm -hmm. not just listen to myself you know yeah that's something a lot of 20 year old players do it's just they just want to hear themselves be fast right so let's talk about this uh the most recent tour you were on because you were a musical director Mm -hmm. you played bass you played keyboards Mm -hmm. and you sang Mm -hmm. None of which is drumming. I actually filled in on one gig on drums. Oh, I recorded okay. the bass parts because our, our drummer had a kidney stone and he had to go to the hospital oh, to stay man. there. Oh, drag. Yeah. It was right before the show. And so that was probably my so favorite. You got to be the hero. It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Because I just got mm-hmm. to play drums on it. I, you know, that was like a month and a half after not playing drums. So it didn't feel the best, but it satisfied my soul for the rest of the tour for sure. Yeah. Um, playing bass and keys on that tour was was a blast though i got to like show off my versatility a little bit and have some see some clips and pictures of me playing other instruments on a big stage which was great i mean yeah i don't know yeah, well we're talking about trixie mattel yeah was uh is uh she won the drag drag queen what is yeah. it drag race she, all-stars. all-stars yeah she was like sixth place on the seventh season uh yeah and uh then she won the all she's the a big All-Stars. famous drag queen yeah yeah and uh man i gotta tell you after kind of watching her all day, she's she's so awesome. She's a really good entertainer. Yeah. Really funny because she's also sort of stand up. Yep. And but then she started singing. I, I saw the clip of you guys in New York mm-hmm. on that live stream, and the songs are great. Yeah, like her her countryish stuff is like her bread and butter, and it's it's actually really like I feel like it's really meaningful music. It's like the one that comes from her soul. Yeah. Um, and that's the stuff that I, I would have liked to actually play more on the tour. And, you know, I mean, obviously when you have all of her fans, like the pop stuff is, it's more energetic, but right. You know, when you're a musician, you, you like to play songs. Yeah. It's like the, the meaningful stuff feels the best. So, um, yeah, 
Well, I uh, personally I liked uh, liked them both. Like yeah. she started with the Jesse Jesse. Right, that song's great. Yeah, cool tune. Yeah, man. about like, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, yeah. And I think the thing is the lyrics right are so great. So uh-huh. kind of I didn't care because then she did a couple of you know the more I don't even want to say country. It's more folk. I yeah, guess. Folk, Amer- yeah, Americana. Yes. Yeah, um, and that's great too. But all the time I'm just like the songs are so great. I don't even care how you what you wrap them in. You know yeah. what I mean. I mean, luckily you watched that show live. Uh, there are a couple other ones we did for different radio stations that, or uh, we did one for Adult Swim. And that um, one was a little rough. Uh, we had like terrible monitoring system and it was a really cool experience because I love Adult Swim, but yeah. it was just, I, I just don't watch that one. <laughs> okay. If you're listening out there, don't yeah, watch that. Definitely. Wow. It takes place in front of a, a fish tank. Oh, well, now if you keep describing it, I'm going to have to go watch it now. So maybe I'll just, I'll put a clip of it on the, in the podcast as well. (laughs) What a blessing when I rented cursed and I knew I had to have you first. You can keep me waiting for forever, whatever. Got your glossy double cover sheen. Like the pictures on a magazine I can get your pages stuck together Whatever Sit in the sand and turn the tide As I scan my TV guide Jesse, Jesse, take my hand You can meet me in zombie land You know inside every clam's a pearl I could be Jesse's girl, Jesse's girl. Oh. So, how did that whole thing come about? And to get it as a musical director—that's right. So that was a weird thing. Um, and it's kind of your first major tour. Yeah, I've and had... your musical director on it—that's a right pretty so, cool thing. So I was like at the point of actually like pretty much giving up on music like as a full-time career because, man, I was working. Probably, I think seven days a week, six, seven days a week for like three or four years. And like, I was just like, okay, this is what I, you know, I put in all my energy towards music. And like, I, I, looking back, I definitely didn't put it in the right directions, but I put in all my effort and I was like trying really hard to be like, you know, financially successful as a musician and stuff like that. And, um, I couldn't save any money and live in Los Angeles. So I was just like, I, you know, something has to change. So I talked to one of my adult students and he's like, I made a joke. I was like, you know, if you can offer me a $70,000 starting job, like I'm, I'm done. And he's like, are you serious? And then like two weeks later, uh, he, he approaches me after, after the band that we that I was teaching. And he's like, you know, we can do a lot better than 70,000. And I was just like, Oh, <laughs> and uh. so he's like, send me an email. And I was like, okay. And then I sent him an email and the, literally the same day he's like, yeah, uh, we can set you up. My buddy that I went to college with, the dr- who's the drummer on the tour, he sends me an email and he's like, yo man, do you want to do a tour? And it was like, not even like five hours difference. It was just literally, wow. I think I even, did I even talk? I think I talked to you. About yeah. This. You yeah. asked me. Yeah. Yeah. Was just, I was so conflicted about it. And, you know, looking back, I think, I mean, I feel like I made the right decision, even though I would have had a job right now. It's like, I couldn't have, the, the experiences that I made on this tour were you know, too valuable to have let go. Um, but right. for the MD position, like it was, it was strange. I almost was not going to be on the tour. So they kind of like let me help pick the musicians. They first picked my friend cause he'd done another tour and he met 
the uh, the AR of that company who manages Trixie and mm-hmm. they liked him. So they're like, hey man, do you know any musicians? So he asks me, hey man, do you know any musicians? Because I play in LA a lot. So I know a lot of LA musicians and I send them a list of people, like two guitar players. And then I send them this really great keyboard player. And then it was like, I just was like, okay, I can kind of play bass. So I'll play bass. And then they ended up picking one of the guitar players that I suggested and then didn't get the keyboard player. And then like a month before the tour was about to go out, they're like, okay, we're just going to do drums and guitar. So that would have left me out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then a week later I get an email from the the manager saying, or offering me a set amount of money for the tour. And I was like, wait, I was not supposed to be on this tour. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to be on this tour. And in the email it said for MD position. And I was like, okay, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, I, I, you know, a few emails back and forth and we've got it figured out. And uh, then I just kind of suggested, I was like, you know, all these tracks have so many keyboard parts. Why don't I just bring like a controller and, you know, play Jeez, some I'm keyboard right. parts. And they said no initially, because I think they were worried about like transportation of, of gear and stuff. Right. But it ended up working out really well because, I mean, we needed it at rehearsals and stuff like that. It was just like the artist kind of like Trixie kind of like you could tell she wanted key par- keyboard parts before we even talked about that. So it was kind of like just a good call. Yeah, It was like nice. It worked out like that. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> super terrible timing for that to happen. It was like the most conflicted. <laughs> or was it the best timing? It was yeah. the best timing, but it was like, I've never been more conflicted. Yeah. But, well, that's a tough one. Right. I mean, that's, you know, it's sometimes it's just about keeping your eye on the ball. If, that's yeah. what, if you really want to be a musician, you know, and yeah. it's what it's going to be forever. So, yeah, <laughs> know, especially now. So did you get to do, did the whole tour happen? No, we, uh, our last three dates of our U.S. tour were canceled or rescheduled. And then all of our European tours, you know, postponed. Definitely. So, I mean, that was a bummer. <laughs> we, so just the worst timing. Yeah, we were about as to... As far as that goes. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, we were about to play LA, which is like, it was our second to last show, and it was going to be like our final show for us, like emotionally. And we were in Phoenix. We were about to play that show, and that show got canceled, and then LA got canceled, and then San Diego got canceled. And then, yeah. you know, I wasn't so super bummed, because at that time, I don't think anybody knew how serious it was. Right. And then I was like, okay, it's okay. In a month, this will be over, and then we're going to go to Europe and have a blast. Right. And then that didn't happen. And going through the time when we would have been in like Paris during the summer, I was like super down about that. I was sitting at home doing nothing. Yeah. And that was a bummer. So yeah, that's what I, I meant earlier when we were joking around and I was Got saying, yeah, terrible timing. So it, does she do like stand up? Yeah. What's the show like? So half the show is stand up, half the show is, no, probably less than half the show is music. It's probably like a third music, two thirds uh, stand up. But oh, it's cool. like also videos and just like skits and all this stuff. Cause like I, when he's, when he's out of drag, he does a lot of stand up like locally to just mm-hmm. test out material. And uh, so I think like he's just a jack of all trades. Like he's super businessman as well. Like, he manages all of his companies. He has like a, cosmetics company it's like nuts how much this guy does like as soon as he wakes up he's on his phone on like you know twitter doing that that job doing a social media job right and then all this business stuff as well it's crazy i don't think i've ever met somebody that works as hard i think if people had the opportunity to work as hard they might but he does it and has a great time doing it so it's like surprising i've never really seen that before well that's what it takes yeah for sure (laughs) that was the great thing about the tour as well as like it was just like super smooth like the we had a really nice bus it was like brand new and it was just like nobody messed it up i mean people would leave their shit on the benches all the time but like it's just like 
there was no stress on the bus. It was just like, That's everyone's so like, play video games, have fun, talk, but no drugs, no, you know, nobody got wasted. It's great. It's a great That's time. That's cool. So as a musical director, hmm. how, what's your approach like? Are you, did you chart everything out or did you like uh, just send recordings to everybody? So that was another thing that was weird about the music director position. It was like, you know, music directors obviously usually take care of tracks and, and rehearsals and all that stuff. I kind of like came up with arrangements. I didn't, I asked everybody if they wanted charts. I made charts for myself, mm-hmm. but nobody else really wanted charts. There was only, you know, three band members and they oh, right, didn't right. really care. Like the guitar player is super great. Zach Fenske is an LA guitar player. Cool. And he, uh, he learned songs super quickly and well. And like, you know, they all said no. And then most of what I did was just like lead rehearsals and, and kind of do like live arrangements for the songs. Mm-hmm. Um, are you trying to recreate the record mm, or right? Most of the songs I don't feel like had much room to, to grow in excitement. I feel like they're already pretty exciting. I added for Jesse, Jesse, I added a, I added some, uh, adjustments to the bridge mainly. Cause that's like a part where it kind of like sits in the same rhythm over and over and it needs to be more exciting, mm-hmm. but most of her songs didn't need much. They just needed that little push. And that's kind of what I did. I kind of tried to keep it mostly to the album and then had Zach, the guitar player, just crank his distortion and overdrive and just shred, you know? Yeah. I was like, that's all you need. That's awesome. Yeah. And did you guys rehearse a lot? We went to Seattle, our first show was in Seattle. And then we spent the entire first week before the show in Seattle rehearsing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cause it has like so many video cues and lights right. and all that stuff. It was just like, uh, that was where I actually, it was like my first time st- extended stay in Seattle. And I, I don't know, I, that city didn't, didn't really do it for me. Not that you asked. I just, I figured out I didn't really like that city. Yeah. What time of year was it? I mean, it was, oh, February. Well, it was yeah, February. February. Oh yeah. It's pretty dark. Yeah. But I, I mean, I've been to Portland in February and I love Portland. Yeah. Well, it's not the same city. It's not the same city. Uh, well, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I used to go to Seattle a bunch and it's either great or it's awful. When the sun comes out, it's the most beautiful place on Some the planet, came you know? Yeah. Oh, I just, okay. just, you know, you either feel city that you don't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And what type of venues? Mostly theaters. Um, if not all theaters, uh, we did like, it was, it was strange because our biggest shows were like New York, uh, where we thought would be the biggest shows or where they easily saw the most were like our smallest venues. It's really strange. Like, oh, interesting. Well, yeah. <laughs> we, we played, uh, you know, the All American Rejects? I think mm-hmm. that's what the, yeah. I think that was the band. Um, we played the night after them and like, I thought it was going to be this huge, you know, venue cause like uh, they're a huge band and we get in there and it's like a 500 seater. And I was just like confused cause obviously it's going to easily sell out and we could have done one way bigger, but yeah. Um, for the most part, it was probably like a thousand, 1500 seater. Cool. And it sounds like it's pretty big production. Like, yeah. you know, whatever you can fit in a theater. It's not an arena, but right. I don't think she would have settled for anything smaller than a big production. Yeah. Know? She's, she seems like a big production. Yeah. Her whole vibe <laughs> is like real life overdone Barbie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it fits. Yeah. But overall you liked it. It was, yeah. it was uh, it was it was it was a blast. It was the time of my life. My most fun musical moment, though, like my cherished memory, is uh, I opened up for Huey Lewis on a couple of shows. Yeah, and uh, we played one in Saratoga, which is kind of like their hometown, and we were on top of a mountain. You know, like it's like a winery and it's beautiful. And it, it was like it was probably the same amount of people, like fifteen hundred, two thousand, and it was like 
But that night was so beautiful. Like it was like warm and nice and they're shooting stars after we played and there's like watching this famous old band, you know, it's just like, it was, I don't, I don't, and I was playing with my best friends too. That's, that's the thing. It was like my friend's band. So she was yeah. like recruiting all of our friends to play. And it was just like, that's, that's something that's going to be hard to beat. Even if I have like the biggest tour in the world, you know, even if I'm yeah. playing for Ariana Grande, it's like, that's going to be obviously the best time, but the most meaningful shows are, you know, different. Yeah. Well, it's all about the people for yeah. sure. Was it the mountain ru- mountain winery? Yeah, it was mountain. Yeah, winery. yeah. That's, played, that venue is is phenomenal. gorgeous. Yeah. yeah, that's such a great spot. Yeah, I actually played there with Matt Rohde and yeah. with ABC. We did the whole '80s show there, so we were and I played there a couple times with Dwight. But yeah, it's just gorgeous. You played there multiple times. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I'd love to go back there. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. It's just the road up. Oh, scary as hell. It's, it's, it's on a tour bus. Yeah. You know, you know. Yeah, it's going to fall off. <laughs> yeah. Scary. It was pretty crazy. I'm a star. I have to confess something. I I love books, but I, I don't love reading. And it's it's been something that I've I've wrestled with since I was a kid. You know, I, I can read. I have read books, but they're very time consuming. And I've spent most of my time trying to build a music career, <laughs> which takes a lot of time. But one thing I definitely do a lot of is drive in L.A. traffic on my way to a gig. And there's a solution that combines those two situations, and it's called Audible.com. Audible has thousands of audiobook titles, and you can listen offline anywhere, anytime. The app is free and can be installed on all smartphones and tablets. And they have just a ton of music-related titles, like All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald S. Passman, How Music Works by David Byrne, or Music Production Secrets by Calvin Carter. And you can get a free 30-day trial right now if you visit audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. That's audibletrial.com slash divebarrockstar. I'd like to take a second to thank you for listening to the Dive Bar Rockstar podcast. As a new podcast, getting the word out is a vital part of what it takes to keep the show on the road. Uh, or off the road, as the current case may be. If you would like to support the podcast... All you got to do is subscribe wherever you listen. And if you have an extra minute or two, please leave a review. You can also share and follow the podcast on your social media apps. Okay, enough begging. I hope you're having fun. And once again, thank you for listening. And so is she in like character all the time? Uh, No. So she's only in character. Well, she had like meet and greets. She had to get ready at like, so if we had a show at seven, we started pretty much on time every night. She'd have to get ready at like two. Oh, wow. Really yeah. sucks. Um, so as soon as she put on makeup, I think she's in character. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, no, it's kind of just like you're hanging out with a friend. Like, that's cool. I mean, even when she's in character, it's like when you're in the band, it's kind of like that personal relationship, you know? Yeah. So like never really fully in character around the band, but definitely changed mindsets around two o'clock. Like, five yeah. hours before the show it's just like a different person yeah. like the first time I actually I we were doing an event for Sirius FM and uh, that was the first time I saw her in drag and she walked through the door and it's like six foot four you know and like really wide and I was just I, I kind of got intimidated like scared a little bit I was like <laughs> it was cool but I, I, I'd never seen you know a, a, I'd never seen a drag queen in real life I wasn't really familiar with the drag queen scene before getting this tour. I mean, even during this tour, like I didn't really have a lot of time to study the culture or anything. Right. So that was uh, an experience. I bet. So you 
did you know had you seen pictures of her and stuff yeah yeah but no, but when you're not when no. you're standing next to her it's a when you're a five nine tiny man you know, like, <laughs> you know nothing compares you for that right there must have been some crazy crowds yeah i mean there's only one or two shows um that were weird vibe wise and I, i'm not sure why but most of the shows like the crowd was just like they love her so much it's just yeah. like i'm sure you're familiar with that feeling it's like you take out the ears for half a second and it's like the loudest thing in the world and it feels so good. And yeah. It's like, man. Um, just, just vibing off that energy is uh, the, the love people have for her is, is great. I mean, that, that yeah. drove me every night. And that's ever, why we do this. Yeah. You know, is that, isn't it? I yeah. don't know. No, I, I definitely, I mean, that's, that's definitely the reason I like playing big stages. It's just, you know, that energy you feed off of. I mean, it's, it's, it's different than playing, bar gigs yeah i mean yeah objectively it's like not the same energy no <laughs> yeah well for one i i trust it more you know bar gigs by the time everyone gets they're a drunk you right. know you could it could be any band up there right but to be you know yeah dwight has a very loyal you know even keiko matsui that i played with for 12 years actually you saw us at scullers that's yeah, the, another Boston, time yeah. i met you and jimmy paxson was playing with us um but she's the same way like really dedicated fans and um, not the same energy as Dwight Yoakam or Trixie Mattel, I'm sure. Yeah. Keiko's a much more sub- subdued thing, but, uh, you know, it's just a great thing. I remember that night so well, uh, going to your show. It was like 2012, I think. 2000, yeah, it was probably like 2012. That sounds right. And I, uh, my phone had died and it was, I think it was like right before Uber was the thing. And I didn't have mm-hmm. a smartphone either. I had like, I still had my like flip phone and, <laughs> uh, and my buddy that I was with, we ran to your gig because we were going to be late and we didn't have any other transportation. Like we didn't want to take a taxi because we couldn't afford it. We were broke. And it's not close to the T stop. No, it's not close at all. And we were, <laughs> it was like a 20 degree night or something like a 25 degree night. And Ugh, it was like, we, yeah. sh- we had one pair of gloves and we kept trading them back and forth <laughs> while we sprinted to your gig. That's a college story right there. Yeah, I mean, we had was, one pair of gloves. We had one pair of gloves and we kept sharing it. It was great. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's a good. That's a, I mean, I love that memory. You know. Yeah. Like even if it was a shitty time, it was like. I mean, your show was great. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, as a Berkeley person, what how what did you think of this show? That was fun. Um, I think the first I saw you twice actually at Schoolers. Uh, the first time was with the drum. It might have been Chad. Was it? Chad? Oh yes. It was Chad. That one I felt like was. I mean, looking back, even I felt like it was a little tighter. I feel like you guys had played together a lot more. Yeah, the one with Jimmy Paxson, I felt like was cooler. Like Jimmy, uh, Jimmy just has like the coolest feel of all time, you know. Yeah, and like I knew him better, so like I enjoyed being there more on that one. Um, right, and that was less of a musician thing. Um, I wasn't really. I don't think I had the ears that I have now back then, so it'd be hard for me to like talk about what was good for me back then. I, I liked right. both shows, you know, but yeah. like it was easier for me to be at the one with Jimmy, right? Just because I knew him, you know. Yeah, he does bring a, a certain thing that's different. Dude, his and, feel like, oh my God, I saw him last yeah. last year in Culver City. He just like, nobody feels like him. Yeah. Nobody. And it's funny too, because he was, uh, probably still is, I don't know, I haven't worked with Keiko for a minute now, but uh, he was one of her favorite guys and he didn't play the parts exactly right. Right. But nobody cared. You yeah. know, when you can get to that point, because she's a very stickler, like, 
important, you know, all these parts are important to her and all, all the little notes. But if you can bring a thing, though, that she likes, then you're all good. And it yeah. was never like wrong. I mean, it's Jimmy Paxton, he's not going to play anything wrong necessarily, but he didn't, you know, he only cares so much about the record, but mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because the feel of it, you know. Right. Um, well, anyway, look up Jimmy Paxson. He's a great drummer. Yeah, I mean, he's one of my favorites just because of his feel, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I tell him that all the time. I don't know. I just like, I love hearing him play. Yeah. And then you're right. Like me and Chad, Chad was, has an episode on this podcast as well. Like we, we had played a million gigs and mm -hmm. tons of Keiko gigs specifically, but then all kinds of gigs. So me and him were, you know, the band was tighter probably for sure. In, yeah. yeah. And Jimmy's always kind of subbing. It was never really his gig and right. we would just get him whenever we could get him. So, uh, but that's interesting. I was just happy that you didn't like come over and hate it as, you know, someone no. who's learning fresh stuff at Berkeley, you know? Right. I, uh, so coming out of high school, you have that like musical bias, you know, like you're only supposed to like certain things, but I, I feel like after high school going to Berkeley that shattered, like, and I just, you know, I pretty much like every genre. Like there's obviously yeah. something great about every type of music. Um, no bias so like that show wasn't it i mean that was more towards the jazz jazz side which was what i was trying to like more back then anyway so right it worked out yeah she's kind of a good combination of pop and jazz right you know, it's, a, it's an interesting gig mm -hmm. and just she's so unique in her japanese-ness you yeah. know <laughs> that uh i don't know I was I loved that gig for twelve years. I mean, not everything about it, but yeah. you know, the music was always right. pretty fun. It's fun, <laughs> challenging enough. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I saw on Trixie's website that there's a European tour set for January. Right. Are, do you think it's gonna? For, no. First of all, do you? If it happens, will you be on it? Yeah. Um, she asked me to be on it uh, probably a couple months ago, maybe three or four months ago, and. Uh, I'd love to do it. Um, back then, I didn't know what was going to happen, so I was like, "Am I going to have to get a job before then?" But right. luckily, I'm able to move back in with my mom. So, no, <laughs> I think cool. I think I'll definitely be on it. Um, cool, but it's definitely not happening in January. Yeah, officially, it already got pushed back. Oh, you've so already like, heard. Yeah. Heard, okay. So right now, it's hopefully we can play. I mean, it's in summer, and I'd love to go to Paris in, in the summer. You know, yeah. like Spain in the summer. Be, I don't know, man. Like. A I've, I've gone to Paris in the summer and it was really hot and it was a drag. Like maybe fall or spring might be. I mean, the alternative <laughs> is January going to well, all those. Yeah. And we were going to like, oh, where else? Like super Northern European cities. Like oh, they're yeah. going to be the coldest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. mm. That's not something I want to do. Yeah. So I was stoked that it got moved. I'll deal with yeah. Paris in the summer. Like I don't care. Right. Yeah. 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 It won't matter as much in Paris as it would in like Norway or something, right. you know, obviously, but yeah. uh, I think that was one of our, you know, stops. Like, yeah. Go, yeah. Yeah. We used to go to Eastern Europe all the time with Keiko speaking of, mm -hmm. so the reason, the stuff that I didn't like about the Keiko gig was all these, you know, I've done like 14 tours of Russia and, and Eastern Europe and Siberia and stuff. And you always go to like March when it's still 40 below zero because yeah. In the summer, everyone leaves their little towns to go vacation or whatever. So we were either there in like December or February, March, and like always yeah, cold. That's what I did. And the traveling was just awful and like buses with no heat and like, you know, it was so, uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And you're on, <laughs> Summer's better. And I don't have the clothes for that either. <laughs> oh, like, right. Because you're, see, I'm, I'm originally from Denver, so I had my one ski jacket. I had my ski clothes still, you know. Like, and that worked for that? 
Yeah. Yeah. And okay. and you you'd be surprised how fast you acclimate. Like yeah. the first two days, you're just like, how do people live like this? This is unbelievable. And like literally, the first time I we went there, it was a record year of forty below zero in Moscow, which both scales that's where they intersect mm -hmm. like celsius or fahrenheit so 40 below zero is the same in everything it's just really fucking cold it's really cold <laughs> you know what i mean like it's it's unbelievable and but after two days of it, it you don't notice it as much you're just so your body changes you know but obviously you still need a coat you know yeah but, yeah but every time i think like how am i going to do six weeks of this but by the third day you're just like all right and here we go again you know well yeah i I don't know. We played a, a lot of northern cities in the U.S. during February, and that was already too cold. I didn't get used to that. I mean, we switched yeah. time zones all the time, so it was like weather was always different, but it was mostly cold for the first leg. And we'd spent like, we had to go spend like 200 bucks, and that was too much for me. I don't, I don't want to spend more than 200 bucks on, on clothes that I'm only going to use for a week or two. Yeah. And so, like, that was something I didn't want to have to do is go buy like 500 bucks worth more cold, cold clothes, you know? Cold right. Right. So. Super well, stoked that it's moving. I also played with your band Push Push. Yeah. Is that still a band? No. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't know it was a dark. No, it's know. not. Um, uh, that guitar player, I think I've probably talked to you about him before. Oh, yeah. That's still Diego. Like, yeah, Diego. He um, yeah. still has a place in my heart, obviously. Like, yeah. He's, I think, I think naturally he's probably the best guitar player my age that I've heard. Mm. like just rhythmically that dude was insane watching videos back then like he had better rhythm than all of us like cole's like a virtuoso piano player and like cole riddle yeah and diego still had you know better feel than he did and it was just like diego was uh one of those guys that shines bright and then you know turns to drugs and never mm -hmm. shows up again so that kind of sucks right. i started a band with cole diego and then kieran was the singer and kieran quit music like she hates performing so she doesn't oh. sing anymore so that kind of sucked like to start a band with all these people i really loved as musicians and then have half them just never play music again wow know? yeah yeah i played a, a couple of gigs with you guys and oh my gosh like just worked me out because you it's an interesting it was an interesting situation because you were doing pop tunes yeah. that you would kind of jam out right. but then you would do herbie hancock and right. like full-on you know, yeah. beat the shit out of it, you know, yeah, and, just... and playing this fusion stuff. And man, I remember the one night I, I literally broke my bass yeah. just trying to keep up with you guys. <laughs> Those are always the best nights when you played. Um, we auditioned like six or seven bass players. You were the only one that we liked playing with. Um, we Okay, I feel like that's a bad, mean yeah. thing to say. But like, we <laughs> liked playing with other bass players, but you know, when somebody fits and someone doesn't, it's like, right. you yeah. have so many more years of experience than other people. And like, I feel like naturally, I felt like I played really well with you or like you helped me be more confident in my playing. So that helped us play with you a lot more. And we just liked, you know, the energy that you helped us have, which was like that, those two times you played with us, we're still, you know, Cole and I have talked about it, like our favorite times that we had on that band. Um, we did one night where my dad actually sat in too. It was like their one year anniversary at that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. bar. And that's like, that was, that was probably the best gig we had there. I mean, the energy was so great and we were all on fire that night. It was just like one of those, yeah. not, both nights you played, like I felt like everybody was on, you know, right. that's rare. Yeah. Well, we had also played a bunch of gigs previous too. So we know each other really well and yeah. just that kind of music that's you got to have that relationship bass and drums especially yeah so that you can go places you know mm. feels like but 
that was i agree of, i had a blast <laughs> that's great i mean that was i feel like that was that was one of the first bands where i learned to listen as well like in a different way like my dad's band was more like listening to make the song sound good uh that band was more like listening to see what chop you can play off of right you know we did not care how the song sounded in that band yeah. like we played rock with you 100 beats faster you know it's mm-hmm. just like have fun with the song. It was never sounded good, but it was fun. <laughs> I think a lot of people would describe jazz in that way. Yeah. Because yeah. it's like not really about the audience to right. a certain degree. You yeah. know, it's more of a, a conversation amongst musicians on the yeah. stage, you know. Uh-huh. But um so you did you play other places besides I played the same place twice. I can't remember the name of it. It's Native Sun. Huntington Beach. I don't really want to advertise their, their okay. business anymore. We oh, kinda had a falling out. Got um it. but uh yeah, that was, I mean, that's still one of my favorite venues that I've played. It's just like so open and like sound. Well, that good. was the thing. As I'm playing all these songs and, gonna, and the crowd is digging it. And I'm like, yeah. how did you guys manage to find a venue that would put up with these this music? Right. And then an audience that loved it at the same time. I, was, I thought yeah. that was pretty amazing. Did, did it go over that way other places or was that mainly where you played? We tried a couple other spots, but we, uh, we unsuccessfully tried to write music a couple of times and like, that's one way we didn't click like whenever we had Diego and Cole and who were like the two main writers um at the time would they you know they they didn't think at all like so Diego kind of was like more like the bluesy style and and Cole was definitely way more jazzy so it's just like you'd think they might work together but they didn't they didn't want to like play off each other at all they kind of wanted to just write how they wanted to write so like we had two writing Mm -hmm. sessions and we kind of came up with one really great riff and then that's it. Right. And then we, so we tried to play covers at like other venues, but it never really worked. Like our, you know, I don't, it feels weird playing covers at like serious gigs, you know? Yeah. And we tried to play a couple places in Hollywood and it's just like all covers. Like, what are we doing? Yeah. Right. So. And you were the, it was your band. You were the leader of the yeah. band. So, um, what was, well, you've already expressed some, you know, it wasn't so fun all the time, but you must've learned a lot as a band leader. I mean, is that something, is that a position you enjoyed having? Um, no, uh, that I, I feel like a lot of times it felt great, but then a lot of times it felt like I was everyone's, you know, parent, like not even like that. I was, you know, it just felt like I had to be not even like that they were doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. It was just like, for some reason there was like some pressure that I felt that it was like, I need to make sure this happens and this happens and this happens, which was stupid. Cause it was like a for fun band, you know, I, I wanted it to be serious. I wanted it to be like a, a band that got bigger as I, you know, most right. people in their early twenties do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it could have been cause I, you know, every player was great, but we just didn't have that. Not everyone had that same mentality and that's, you know, what you need to have. Right. And yeah. So, and it's the hardest thing. That's why, you know, there isn't a billion, I mean, there's a billion bands, but most of them last a year. Right. Cause it's, you know, to find the Beatles, yeah, you know, is, right. exactly. is it's really hard. Yeah. I went solo when I was like 17. Cause I just was like, screw this. <laughs> yeah. It's too hard. I mean, I think <laughs> even now that I'm older, like I would still like love to like try to have something like that mm-hmm. because it's so much more meaningful, like to create yeah. your own stuff with people that you love. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, it'd have to be the right people. And that's, I'd like, I tried to find another singer for a year afterward. And I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's not going to be the same. Right. So, 
have to move on. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a tough business. Yeah, and you know that's a big reason. That's a big example. It's almost like better to avoid working with your friends. Mm-hmm. You know, in a weird way, because it's it's a really vulnerable situation, and find you know four or five people that see the same way. It's it's next to impossible, and they're just begging for yep. catastrophe. Yep. And those things uh, that we were talking about earlier, you know, like parts of my dad coming out like i didn't mm. want that to happen with people that i was trying to like create stuff with you know right so that was also something i you know had to like that was something i learned how to deal with that with that band mainly you know it's just like yeah. don't take your temper out on these guys that you're trying to yeah. you know have yeah. something with right and so you come out of berkeley you come back to la was there ever any um hope or want to stay in boston or never um, I wanted to come out because I never really wanted to be like a jazz drummer. I always wanted to like jazz facility, but mm-hmm. you know, LA is kind of more of the pop rock scene. Yeah. And like, I didn't like playing rock as much. Uh, I've always kind of liked playing pop. Um, but you know, I grew up with my dad who plays a lot of rock and like, I grew up around a lot of players that play a lot of rock. So like I knew how to walk. Well, I knew how to kind of, you know, mm. I thought I knew how to right. play rock. Um, right. <laughs> so that was kind of like the decision for me is like, I should just go home and try to make a career in LA where it's easier, you know, not easy, mm. but easier than going to New York and trying to live there and start when I'm a pop player, not even a jazz player. So right. no, I didn't want to stay in Boston. I mean, I'd love oh. going back, but yeah, no desire. Yeah. Did you go back on this tour? Yeah. And that was a great what did you guys play? Great stop. We played at Newberry Comics, which was really cool. Oh, wow. I used to go there all the time. Yeah, me too. And they, they moved to locations. Oh. Yeah, um, which was weird. Because um, like at first I didn't realize it, and then I was like, wait, this is different. Oh, interesting. And then that was really cool because um, now they follow me on Instagram, and that's really rad. It's like something I didn't know I wanted to happen. <laughs> okay, so you came here. What was the first thing you did when you got back to LA and like, what was your plan to like, uh, how am I going to get a gig? I, um, as soon as I got back, my first plan was to start dating this girl. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Like music was not something I was concerned about at that time. I was like, I have plenty of time to figure that out. And I dated that girl. Terrible decision. I feel like you probably remember, um, probably terrible, terrible time. Um, (laughs) And I, I spent way too much time focusing on that, like on a relationship. And then as soon as I shifted towards music, it was like, I didn't know what to do. So I kind of, I started teaching and I started playing with, that's when I started playing with my dad more. Um, and yeah, I mean, that I, that's, that was my mindset. It was just like, Hey, I'm going to play as many gigs as I can with my dad. And hopefully I'll get another gig from somebody else that moves out here afterward, you know, gotcha. that I went to school with. That didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but that was my well, plan. Well, sort of did. Yeah, I mean, way later, but I'm saying at right. that time, like right. all my friends stayed in Boston for a few years after that. So it was just like, interesting. kind of felt in limbo for a bit and I was just teaching. And then that, like I taught more and more and uh, I got, I, I worked at Coast Music, which is, you know, Matt Rohde's and Beth Rohde's school. Right. And I got more and more opportunities there. So I kind of just filled my time with that and said, like it took on like 15 students and I taught like 10 bands. Oh, so that cool. was what I've, I've been, I did that from like 2015, 2016 until January of this year. So, I mean, that wasn't my plan, but that's what ended up happening. Yeah. Yeah. But did you enjoy that? No. No. Uh, no, I'm at the point where I 
never want to teach again. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I had some some kids and some bands I really loved. And it's like, mm-hmm. even if you don't like your profession, you're still going to have those moments where you love them. Right. And I'll always remember those kids. Like I had a little kid. He was like five or six years old. And he was always come and talk about like some made up things of his dreams and stuff. And like, it was adorable. And like, we played like the Avengers theme and stuff. Like he loved the Avengers. And it was just like, that was a blast. Um, yeah. And then I taught this other kid who was like same age, five or six. And he loved the Beatles. And we'd only sing Beatles. And that was great. I mean, I, yeah. you know, I, they're probably my favorite band of all time. So like, right. I was down to co teach him to sing Beatles songs all day. And <laughs> even if he really couldn't sing yet, it was just like still a great time. Yeah. Um, and were they all that young? No, I taught from like five to like 15. Um, mm-hmm. And I had some adult students too, um, but it was mostly five to 15. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And as soon as they hit like 14, 15, it's rough. <laughs> yeah. 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 They start, totally. te- they start teaching you or treating you like you're kind of, especially if you're younger, they treat you like you're a friend or like a colleague. It's like, I'm supposed to be your teacher. Well, that's cool. I mean, you got past it and now, I mean, I don't know. This is, like I said, it's really interesting timing. And that's kind of another reason I wanted to talk to you because you're sort of the beginning of your career, even now. I mean, mm-hmm. you've been doing it quite a while, but, and a lot of people that I've been talking to so far, you know, either well into their career or maybe even towards the end of it, you right. know? Um, so it's an interesting thing too, because, uh, you know, this COVID thing we end up talking about a lot all the time because it's just become more real and real and real as the thing goes on. But most of us are just trying to get, survive it and get to the other side of it. If I was just starting out and like just got my big first tour and this happened, it, I mean, it just feels like it would be <laughs> a little more challenging to to survive you know yeah i mean luckily i have my mom you know to yeah. kind of fall back on but yeah more, i mean if you're talking about like your 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 morale or whatever it's right like, yeah it was it was a big pretty big blow like it kind of sucked um but i think the tour was fun enough that it kind of gave me enough energy to last till the tour picks up again um That's and, good. It, and the fact that it's happening to everybody like nobody's touring right now it's kind of right. makes me feel better about it yeah we're all on the same plane all right Yep. Yeah. Think uh, about your biggest hero. Right. He's sitting at home right now too, or she, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's Sir pretty... Paul Carney over there. <laughs> he can't play either. Yeah. Well, I played one gig. Yeah. At, yeah. And it was cool. I played That's for o- cool. Oculus Rift for like this like fa- small Facebook event. And it was just like, that was really strange. Playing for no crowd just in front of cameras was, was weird. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's something else to get used to. Yeah. Did not scratch the itch. Right. I mean, playing with other people did, but mm-hmm. like, did not scratch the itch of playing for people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, dude, this was awesome. Thank you. It was a really great conversation. Thank I you. appreciate you coming. Should I have been this close the whole time? <laughs> now I can hear you. Yeah. Was that a problem? <laughs> no. We can do the whole thing over. Of course not. I got plugins for days, dude. I can. No. Are you sure we can? I can it's not back. even going to sound like you when, when we're done. I can come back in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you start over. Wait, let's just go to the top of the questions. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the good news is that you do have this gig and it's an ongoing yeah. gig and, and it sounds like she's going to be loyal, you know, and, yeah. and she enjoys her band and she enjoys what you're doing. So yeah, that's you. pretty exciting that yeah. you're going to, you know, I think there will be a light at the end of the tunnel and just think you're going to come out of this and probably go to Europe. That's not a bad thing at all. Yeah, that's, you know, the dream. Yeah. Well, anyways, you're a great drummer and we got to play more together, I think. And, yeah. you know, if, as it, you know, if we can get any gigs right now, I know that local stuff, I mean, I haven't played a single gig. I, I did a live stream with a friend of mine, but, um, 
you know, any big tours aren't going to happen. So right. it's like once things, I'll bet you when they start to open up, it'll be more local stuff. So I'll be around, you'll be around. Let's, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. let's do it. Uh, let's uh, do something. But anyway, thanks for coming on, man. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> can you give me one more time? I'll, mm. and so I can have something to pick from. Thank you for having me. First of all, I, I think I have to apologize for this super noisy episode. <laughs> we were both kind of soft talking, so the mics are wide open, and I have two crazy squeaky chairs in my studio that I, I have to I have to fix. And at one point, you can hear probably what was a fire department helicopter going overhead. So I apologize for that. I hope it wasn't too distracting. It was interesting to get a different perspective on Berklee College of Music in that whole experience, too, because I, I think I've presented mostly a, a positive um, view of the place. But, of course, just like any institution, it has its downsides, and there are some some interesting inherent flaws with having professional musicians as teachers, for, you know, and not every professional musician is a bad teacher either, and not everyone's a great one, you know, so... But it was, you know, he's been at Berkeley much more recently than I have as a student. So it was interesting. And this show is about learning. So I'm open to those ideas. And maybe you can write me and, and give me your opinion of what it's like at Berkeley these days. I did like when he said the average drummer has never been this good. I hope he's correct. And, um, I, you know, for the last few years, I haven't had the opportunity to play with a lot of young people. So I, I hope he's right because it gives me a little hope. I also liked when he talked about his dad being really good at controlling the tempo and like speeding it up a little here and there just to to um, provide some more emotional weight uh, to it. And it reminded me of a, a kind of a rule, I don't know, a theory that when you're playing rock and you get to the chorus, you speed up a little bit. And when you're playing country and you get to the chorus, you lay back a little bit. So I heard that theory and I started checking it out and it, it seems to hold true. We mentioned Poncho's and how I had met him there. That's a bar in Manhattan Beach, which is really an amazing place. If you ever have a weekend where you're looking for something to do, go down on a Friday or Saturday night and see the band. It's run by sax player Jim Wheeler, and I used to play that with James Clay Garrison, and um, he's no longer there, but Jimmy Paxson used to be the drummer. I, I'm not sure he's the guy anymore either. I think it's Joe Travers, actually. Chris Frazier, Eric Dover is the current um, guitar player, lead singer. He's incredible. Coco Powell's been on bass there for years. And it's just amazing musicians in, in a really cool, fun bar on the beach. Coast Music Conservatory is a place in Redondo. It's an awesome school for, I think, all ages. And uh, man, the talent that comes out of this thing. Uh, is just incredible. So if you've got a kid who's interested in music, it's a great place to go. It's owned and run by Matt Rohde and Beth Rohde. Uh, Matt's a keyboard player, phenomenal keyboard player. From Beth's an amazing singer, really good friends of mine. So I would highly recommend the place. Fred Lipsius does still teach at Berklee College of Music, and uh, safe to say the dude's a musical genius. So don't get me wrong, I, I got a lot out of playing with him. But, uh, you know, there were some challenges, all I'm saying. Cole Riddle was the keyboard player for Push Push, and uh, I think he had mentioned his first name at some point. Phenomenal guy. He was 16 when I played with him. In incredible player. And I think he's got a new song up on Spotify, so check that out. And at one point I said Mer Americana, and I think I was trying to say maybe Americana, 
but I didn't. So that's what I meant. Americana is a great form of music. Check it out. I hope you had a good time and we'll talk to you on the next one. Wow, you've made it to the end. I'm hoping it's because you completely enjoyed yourself and are now filled with knowledge and inspiration to move forward with your dreams. If that is the case and you would like to stay informed of new episodes, live events, and general news, please go to divebarrockstar.com and sign up for the mailing list. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or complaints about anything you hear on the show, please email me at fanmail at divebarrockstar.com and you may even end up on the show. We at the Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast, with all of our hearts, thank you for listening, and remember, it's all about dreams.